This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. Holland, Holland, oh what a day! How good was that? Holland, how good was that? That was fantastic. I, as you may be able to tell from my voice, and you'll hear the rest of this hour, I have had my first weekend of West Coast working in football media, getting up at you know four a.m. whatever time to check into work and stuff, and I am absolutely cooked right now. But yeah. that uh, that performance gave me life. Not as cooked as the West Ham bat line. Am I right? Uh, you are right, sir. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that um, all that juicy stuff in a little minute. Of course, uh, welcome back to City Report podcast, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you're new around here, please follow, subscribe, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, first weekend of the season, football's back. What did you make of it? Bar obviously, we'll spend the most of this podcast speaking about City, but. Not a bad weekend, was it? Obviously, it kicked off on Friday night, Friday evening, and then Liverpool was the Saturday morning game over here in the UK. That was a nice little treat. And then, obviously, for you waking up today, watching United get their absolute arse handed to them by Brighton, Graham Graham Potter's tricky seagulls, that was superb. Yeah, it was it was almost one of those very, very rare, perfect weekends in which everybody you want to drop uh, drop points, drop points. City won. I, my local team, unfortunately conceded a hundred and something minute own goal mm. last night um, to an equalizing own goal in the hundred something minutes. So that was a bit depressing. But other than that, it was a, a fantastic weekend of football. One, one that doesn't come around very often where every everything goes right. You can't yeah. complain. Yeah, it was absolutely superb. And I guess we'll, we'll jump straight into the main event. Then, obviously. West Ham United nil, Manchester City two. We've got um, some listener questions as always. We've had some fantastic questions, so we'll get to them throughout the show. But before we do, we'll start as as there's only one real natural place to start, and it's with everyone's new favourite Scandinavian, Erling Brau Haaland. Talk us through then, if you can, that performance for Haaland on his Premier League debut. Well, I kind of had the feeling it would go this way. Um, okay. I think after the 
performance in the community shield in which, you know, he took a lot of criticism rightly or wrongly for his performance and, and a couple of big misses. I felt like he's the kind of player that is going to build off of that and want, want to prove a point so badly that he's just mm. going to be scary, scary good. And that was exactly what happened. Um, you know, we talked after the community shield about how there were some instances in which, you know, the correct balls weren't being played in behind for him and, and people were kind of missing the runs that he was making. And um, there was a bit of that this morning mm. um, in today's game. But, you know, the balls were found at the right time and, and we get two goals out of it. And um, I think the most the most important thing about that performance was it showed exactly what this team was missing for me. Yeah. I think that game that game last year finishes nil-nil. You know, we don't yeah. we don't have in years past without a striker, we don't have that kind of one moment, that one burst that can kind of take over a game. Whereas, you know, in, in years past it would maybe take three or four big chances mm-hmm. to score a goal. It's like you need one and Holland will take it. And and that's the huge difference. And that was the difference on the day. Yeah, you mentioned that you think it might have been nil-nil last last season. I think City probably lose that game last season because they chased the game so much towards the end trying to find that elusive goal. West Ham, as we all know, a superb counter-attacking team. But it was just, it was, bar the first five minutes, bar the first five minutes when I'm sat there thinking, oh, dear me, what have we got ourselves into again? Start of the 22-23 campaign and it looks as if uh, West Ham are coming out all guns, all guns blazing. But... Apart from that, I'd say 85 minutes, 80 minutes of that performance was supreme control. And apart from the sort of the shakiness, which you expect on match week one, really, really competent. Um, the key takeaway for me then on Haaland was was just how effective he was. And of the players that started the the match at the London Stadium, he had the fewest number of touches for City players, and, and that was that was 32 touches. But obviously, three of those led to goals, um, one of them being the being brought down by Ariola um, for the penalty, one of them taking the penalty, and then obviously his second goal as well. And as you mentioned there, it's it's with Haaland, City can afford to, or not necessarily afford to, but if, if it isn't going well and, and it isn't the perfect performance as it was in times today, and we'll speak about a few of those imperfections, they can get away with results like that and it doesn't necessarily feel like it's been a smash and grab because those chances as you've alluded to, just do not get put away in previous season. I'm not going to come on here and start slating players who have left the club, but how many times have we seen someone like Gabriel Jesus or Raheem Sterling be played through an absolutely carbon copy, dally on the ball, take two or three touches, try and square it and mess up or go round a defender. For Haaland, that second goal was, okay, I'm through on goal. He actually had the time to set himself and put it on his stronger Mm. foot and still had the, the composure to finish. It was, I mean... Lots of lots of teams have had strikers and they've had the luxury of that, but it's it felt a bit like oh my god, this is what we have been missing. Exactly, and and we spoke about this last week covering the Community Shield. Like, you know, I think it was Alex that said he only had seven touches in the game or seven completed passes, something like that, against Liverpool. Mm. But he was also you know inches away from a hat trick in that game. Yeah, and you know we forget that like. Sergio Aguero was like that. He could be invisible yeah. for 75 minutes and then finish the, finish the day with a hat trick, you know. That's yeah. the great strikers are like that that they just they sniff out the chance and when they get the chance they take it and that is just it's it's an absolute cliche at this at this point, but that's what City have been missing. And that's what's scary is City were still perennial top scorers, perennial, you know, most big chance creators in the league. Um, And now someone is going to take most of those chances, whereas City were also consistently had the worst chance conversion rate in the Mm. league. They were consistently number one in the charts for big chance creation and number one in the charts for big chances missed. That's because we didn't have any clinical players in the last few years. And and now you put that a clinical robot up top and, Mm. and we saw the result today. Yeah, I think it's important to note at this point, obviously you mentioned City creating the most. 
that also is a byproduct of having a false nine player who's who's creative as well. And so you take one of those creative players out, you're probably going to your chance creation is probably going to drop slightly, but still the amount of chances City create, um, even without even without adopting that system, you, you should feel as if Ireland's going to feast. And and I think for me, one of the, the the biggest takeaways again, apart from the fact of how effective Haaland was, but it was also how I'm, I'm hesitant to say poor in parts, but it wasn't a vintage performance in the sort of truest sense of the word from Erling Haaland. And I'm predicting we'll probably see Haaland play much better this season and score fewer goals during a game. But he really, really could have had a hat-trick, again, really, going off the back of that, uh, the Liverpool game and then to this one as well. He could have had two hat-tricks by now. But but in the West Ham game itself, in his post-match uh, interview, as you tweeted, Adam, he was really upset not to have, not to have bagged the hat trick on his Premier League debut, and and he said, and I quote, labelled his missed effort for the third goal late on as shit. So City have got a really good character both on the pitch and off the pitch. It seems. Well, that's that's the scary thing, and and by scary, I mean scary for the rest of the league is mm. that you know Holland is. You know he's a penalty box poacher, but he is somebody that will create a goal for himself. He he will mm. dribble and shoot. He will you know he'll take take a ball on the edge of the box and he'll dribble and, and shoot and score. Whereas you know so far we've we've only seen the Holland that gets on the end of chances because that's what City are are so good at. I mean yeah. the, the the number of options that he has feeding him throughout the game: Grealish, Cancelo, Foden, Gundogan, De Bruyne. I mean. The, the options that are giving him service are endless, mm. but when we get the balance of him finishing chances created by other players combined with chances that he can create on his own because of his just pure athleticism, mm. then you're going to have you know a generational goal scorer. Certainly, certainly. And it was interesting, actually. I think his XG was only around 1.58 for Harvard, and, and that's for context that is incredibly high for an individual play you know some teams have that as just sort of as their combined xg at the end of the 90 minutes but considering how many chances it felt like he had to to have scored two from an xg of 1.58 one of them being a penalty as well which i think is 0.8 for the xg so it sort of puts it into perspective there um we'll keep it moving then on the harland and sort of open it up a little bit towards the the rest of the team but i thought it was really nice to see the de bruyne harland link up that has felt like it's been coming all summer we've heard all sorts about how good uh de bruyne and harland are going to be then we watched the community shield last week and it felt like Square pegs in in round holes at times. The the runs Haaland was making, the balls that De Bruyne wasn't playing. But today, it, it's saying that actually, I think the first half it it felt a little bit forced from De Bruyne's end. It felt like he was trying to get that ball upfield as quick as possible. But then in that second half, we, we really saw the fruits of what the two can do. And that pass, I mean, it, it's what we come to expect from Kevin De Bruyne now, considering he's done it so many times. But I don't think you can underestimate just how talented a footballer he is. And to finally have that person capable of taking those chances, I, I think Ginger Kev will be having a very nice sleep tonight because he'll be he'll be looking forward to the games to come. He will. And, and you know, talking to Sky after the game, this is a, a quote from from Kevin De Bruyne. He said, whoever's going to play up front for Man City, whether it's Erling Haaland or Julian Alvarez, I'm going to try and find them. He will make the runs. And if I yeah. find him, he will score the goals. I mean, yeah. it's it's that simple. Like well, one of the big things I think before we move on from the Holland chat that we have to to speak about is that City were kind of this team in which they didn't have a focal point of you know who to focus on as a defender because there was they were so fluid and constantly moving around you know if you're if you're a center back for you know um West Ham last season you would probably have four or five different attackers that occupy the space that you're you know covering mm. throughout the game Phil Foden Grealish Mares De Bruyne they're, they're constantly rotating through and and kind of coming into your area whereas with a focal point in Erling Haaland you know, you've got, you've got this focal point that the the defense is going to gravitate towards, especially with, you know, given his size and his ability. Um, and one thing that's really important that that does is it opens up space for the likes of Gundogan, yeah. who, by the way, today, for me, 
you know, was man of the match. I mean, Holland yeah, scored the yeah. two goals, but Gundogan was just was everything was running through him. Mm. Um, but yeah, it opens up space for other players, and then it shows the other weapons that are on the team, and and it's just in so many other ways other than just scoring. Holland is also doing great things for for the attacking, you know, the attacking side of the game, other than just scoring goals, which is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and again, I go back to it. We mentioned it last week about how there was concerns about how he would be involved in City's build-up play and whether or not it, it, it'd be compatible. I mean, he, he only had 32 touches, but if you can, go on whoscored.com, which is a great website, a great resource for any sort of stats and, and one I go to regularly. But have a look at Haaland's touch map because they are all over the pitch. And I mean, mm. deep inside City's own half as well. He, he was really dropping deep and not to the sense of like, I don't know, maybe it was at, at one point, but not in the frustrated sense of I've got to get on the ball now and I've got to make stuff happen myself. It was genuinely, it was he was involved in the link-up play and that's really promising as well because it answers or, or it sort of eases a few of those worries around City's system. Um, just a quick stat then. Alfinger Haaland played for City, of course. He had three Premier League goals for the Blues. Erling Braut Haaland now has two. Don't think it will be long before that record is broken, but it, it's really nice to see how... The look on Alfinger's face when, obviously, when he slotted it through, you could see the tension. He was in the, in the city end at the London Stadium and, and when it went through the celebrations as well. I think that's a really nice sort of story, a sideshow that's evolving with this transfer, is watching Alfinger sort of come back to City and get the adulation through his son. Yeah, it's fantastic to see him kind of perched up above the away end. And yeah. um, I don't know if they showed this on, on the UK broadcast, but once Erling went off he just turned and, and walked straight you know, <laughs> yeah straight into the concourse the keys, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah i assume he's probably going to find erling in the tunnel um to yeah. talk about him but yeah it's it's fantastic and <clears throat> you know I, it's great to see this era of cole palmer phil foden james mcatee and and you know holland isn't a local lad in mm. the same sense as a foden or a cole palmer but he, he grew up a blue he followed the team at at wembley yeah. and you know when his dad was playing and um it's great to see this kind of um, <clears throat> this era in which there are a lot of players playing at the club who are fans of the club. And yeah, you think when the big money comes in, we're signing all these foreign superstars, like we're going to kind of go away from that type of player, but it's getting better and better by the year. And, and that's such a fantastic thing. And yeah, seeing his dad up there in the stands, I'm sure was some motivation for him as well. Yeah, yeah. And you, you mentioned there he got off quite sharply after uh, Erling was taken off. If it's anything like a normal City away day, he's probably just going in the concourse to get pissed, to be honest. Uh, that's that's what most people spend their time doing um, when, when they're following City. Um, it was funny, just sort of wrapping up the Harlan chat, uh, Gary Neville on Sky commentary when the camera kept panning to Alfinger. He said, it, it's, it, and you want to listen to this, obviously being in the US, but he went, Alfinger's getting more screen time now his son's at City than he did when he was playing himself. And it really does feel as if this sort of mediocre-ish sort of footballer, I know he was a hard nut and, and could put himself about and scored a few goals, but you know he wasn't he wasn't setting the world alight as a, as a player himself, but he's just sort of, created a, with his wife who's an athlete as well um Erling's mom this superhuman beast cyborg that just seems to be sort of set to take football and english football and, and shred it apart um right okay then devil's advocate time because as you know us brits can't see people being happy all of the time does city have to sort of oh sorry city supporters have to sort of park their enthusiasm slightly because of how poor west ham were um i i really really expected more from west ham now i think the factors that came into play were the fact it was and i know here come the last from last from the americans but it was it was about 32 degrees pitch side um celsius that is and it was the first game of the season, so so plays are going to be leggy. It wasn't a great performance from West Ham. They allowed City to do what they wanted to do, which was control possession, build up. And then obviously when the chances came, they took them. It won't be as easy for Haaland going forward, will it? Mm, not necessarily. Um, there'll be easier games. There'll be more difficult games. Um, but I think as far as... You know, an opening day away day, it's a pretty tough one no matter how West yeah, Ham play. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, sure. it's a big stadium, big atmosphere. 
Um, I actually, I didn't think West Ham were horrible. They didn't offer much going the other way, but I thought they were pretty solid in defense. And we know that, you know, good David Moyes sides are going to be like that. Um, I think it's probably smart to, to slightly curb the enthusiasm. Not, not too much, like be excited. It's an opening day win. Our new signing scored two goals. Be, be, you know, do whatever you want to do. Celebrate however you want to celebrate. Um, he's not going to score two goals a game the entire season. Um, but I think the the huge positive to take away is just the fact that even when things aren't fully fluid, things aren't working exactly the way they should be, he's not getting found on every single run. The, the link-up play is sometimes a little bit um, disjointed. They're still winning and, and scoring goals. And I think that is that is the difference. Mm. If, if things weren't perfect in the past, they didn't win games. Whereas, mm. you know, Today wasn't perfect. They won the game. Uh, West Ham wasn't great. Fine, um, but you know that, like we said, that game was probably you know a nil-nil draw or potentially even a loss last year. So, so be excited about that. But um, he's not going to score two goals a game for his whole career. This isn't this isn't going to be every single week. The chances will be there, um, but. But yeah, curb it a little bit. I don't want to be cynical, but curb no, it a I little know, bit. No, I know exactly what you mean. I think for me, looking at it in sort of retrospect post-game, a lot of it is probably just defenders trying to work out what Haaland does because I don't think now... Roy Keane said, said, after, <laughs> Roy Keane said after full-time on the Sky analysis that his movement was a little bit like Ronaldo. And, and I, sort of, I sort of got it, but I, then I, I thought it was... It was I don't think it's a fair comparison because I, I really don't think the Premier League, and this isn't me gassing him up. It's just a sort of just a sort of surface level analysis. I don't think the Premier League in recent years has seen a striker like that. It's been the last ten years has been a massive shift away from the the big burly centre forwards, and and those centre forwards of that ilk, obviously none of them have been of Haaland's ilk, but that sort of physicality has they've, they've not succeeded because defenders have worked out how to how to defend against it now. You have that physicality in, in Erling Haaland, but you also have the pace of someone like Carlos Tevez or Sergio Aguero in the prime, and you have the power of somebody like Didier Drogba as well. So it, it's a real nice concoction and cocktail of of traits, and perhaps the, the first few weeks of, of Erling Haaland in the Premier League is going to be a lot of defenders saying, I don't actually know what to do. The litmus test will be come in the back, back end of the season, start of next season when there's been time for for coaches and managers to analyse him properly first hand and up close then we'll start to see exactly how good this lad is but yeah um, signs are positive I think it's, it's fair to say we'll wrap on that the, thing, the one thing I want to say about that is <clears throat> when you look at the fact that he is just such a phenomenal athlete there are yeah. some things that you can't um, you can't draw up on a whiteboard to to solve um, whereas you know, a manager could kind of figure out how to shut down Pep's false nine system mm. if you if you wanted to. You know, or at over least time. try to, yeah. Right. Whereas, what can you say about how fast he's going to run or how easily mm. he's going to shrug yeah. off? You know, big central defenders. So there there are some things that you just can't solve with your brain. It's just kind yeah. of hoping that you don't get bit. <laughs> yeah yeah it's like putting sun cream on but then the sun's still gonna burn you anyway um right we, we will move on from Merlin Harland champ because I fear we probably could what are we now 22 minutes in I fear we probably could stick here all day and speak about him but there was plenty of other talking points and we'll start with this question um two questions actually first of the episode uh, this first one's from Radar2HZ who asks us thoughts on Pep deciding to fuck off and, and this is their quote as well um, the entire idea of fullbacks and throwing Walker and Concello in as midfielders and we've had a similar one from Manai J who says are Pep's cojones bigger than than okay North Atlantic right whales now I'm not really sure what they are but I suppose you could google them um I presume they've just got big cojones playing Walker as a pivot and Cancelo inverted with Rodri all over the middle third now this comes on the back of deploying Kyle Walker and Cancelo as sort of these makeshift Andrea Perlo like deep line playmakers for the for the opening win against West Ham and despite the novelty of it all and, and it's another thing we'll see if it carries on going forward 
I thought worked really, really well because it just shut down any sort of counter-attack West Ham were planning because the, the, the I said this on a text to you actually, the London Stadium pitch, and I can testify from seeing it in person, is really narrow. It looks it on the TV, but it's even worse in, in person. So the 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 sort of the space comes lengthways, and City did a really good job of sort of eliminating any spaces uh, West Ham were looking to play in on the transition with Cancelo and Walker as those sort of makeshift quasi midfielders, as I mentioned. Well, before I before I talk about football, I just want to say I'm not sure how you didn't know that a North Atlantic right whale is a baleen whale, one of three right whales belonging to the genus Eubalena. <laughs> So. Silly me, guilty as charged. How dare I? You know what? That's that's me done for today. I'm. I'm you learn up. something new every day, Amos. Do they have big cojones though? Because I feel like because if they've got small cojones and it's not exactly important, but if they've got big cojones, presumably they have, whales. They have the largest testicles in the animal kingdom. <laughs> not bigger than Josep Guardiola's, though. Clearly, they can exceed nine hundred kg. Oh, that what on earth? How do they stay afloat? What's I don't know how much how that means nothing to me. So let's see. Nine hundred kg. Kil- Nine hundred kilograms is an awful lot considering nineteen humans. about two thousand pounds. So almost a ton. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. All right. Yeah, anyways, big balls. Um, <laughs> yeah, those are really big balls. Are are Pep's balls two thousand tons? <laughs> I hope playing not. Walker He'd need to see and- a doctor if he, if he were. <laughs> Playing Walker and Cancelo as inverted midfield, inverted fullbacks essentially as midfielders. Um, yeah, it worked really well. You're right that it, it shut down West Ham's counterattack, which was a huge issue for City last year at the London Stadium. I mean, every mm, yeah, every bit of joy they got on that that day on the penultimate weekend of last year was in transition. Um, you're right that West Ham didn't offer much. I don't know what came first. It's a bit of a chicken and an egg here. I don't know if. They didn't offer much because City were so mm. um, solid in the middle of the park or if they just didn't offer much because they didn't offer much on the day. Um, it's interesting, on the U.S. broadcast, it was um, Lee Dixon and Graham Lasso were the, the two analysts, and they were saying mm. that they didn't expect City to play anything like that in the kind of bigger games uh, uh, against more expansive teams. Um and I think we saw a little bit of the weaknesses um, late in the game when when West Ham were kind of having a little bit of a push before the mm. Holland goal, the Holland second goal. Um, and there was times in which they were getting crosses in from the wing, and there was no fullback in sight to to defend mm. the wingers putting balls into the box because they were coming from such narrow positions. So there are going to be weaknesses in that when you're playing a team like Liverpool or Chelsea, or whoever, and any team with lots of pace that can kind of burn down the touchline a little bit, um, then you've maybe got to stretch the pitch a bit more to keep the control. Um, but in a game like that where you're invited into the final third, essentially, by the opposition, then you can play that narrow and you can pile bodies in and you can play your little one-twos when you've got players of, of City's caliber um, and it worked well. And that first goal, the the penalty, I mean, that was a prime example of how you can just kind of play little triangles all the way to the edge of the box. And now you've got the Holland factor to make a insane run in behind, which by the way, that's one thing we need to talk about. The, the slow motion replay of his run that led to the penalty, Gundogan collects the ball. And despite it being in slow motion, it's like a cheetah the way that Holland flips his back and just darts towards the the byline like it's so yeah. fast it's it's almost like he is the one thing at full speed and the rest of the yeah. the replay is in slow motion but um yeah i mean that's what that that kind of narrow i think it was like a 334 essentially mm-hmm. um that's what that gives you is you can play those little one twos on the edge of the box and you can you can you know have a little overload there but we do know that City can also play with high and wide wingers and high and wide fullbacks and stretch the pitch, so it's great options to have. So we've had North Atlantic right whales and, and cheaters on today's podcast. We've turned into a David Attenborough tribute act. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, that, yeah, he's still alive. He definitely died. David Attenborough is still alive. I can he, promise you, he David definitely Attenborough, died. No, 
you've got you've got that wrong. You've got that very wrong. I don't think you're he's alive. the right person. He's yeah. alive. Yeah. He's 96. Maybe wow. I just assumed he was dead. <laughs> yeah. Because he was born in 1926. <laughs> yeah. And if you're yeah. still alive now when you were born in the 1920s, what are you doing? He's he's probably healthier than 70% of the British population, which I don't know if that says more about the British population. Um, football, football. For me, that was probably the absolute best of Cancelo. And, and I, I think as good as he is on that left-hand side, or if you could even call it the left-hand side, he is... A, a bit of a system player and, and Cogs have to be in the right place for him to succeed. We saw the absolute worst, I think, against Liverpool when he got absolutely torn to shreds by their wide men. Um, but yeah, that that was the absolute best of him. He was co- as comfortable as you like at the back. He was there was one moment actually where he's sprinting back and, and it looks as if West Ham were going to break down, uh, break in on that on that right hand side for them. And he just with with absolute ease took the ball off. At, probably Bowen's foot, I can't remember who it was in the box, and just then started trotting away as if he was on a Sunday stroll or a Sunday jog. Um, Blistering going forward, really, really important for City going forward, I think that's fair to say. And you can tell why he's deployed in that inverted fullback position, not only because it frees up his stronger right foot, which... I don't I, I don't notice it a lot, but I don't necessarily think he's he's necessarily the strongest on the left hand side. I think that a, a lot of what he does is is because of his right foot and, and it is cutting in a lot, which can be to detriment. But to, uh, against West Ham, it was to the benefit of City, but also because his technical ability is probably on par with. I don't know the, the sort of the top ten percent of midfielders in the world. I don't have any stats to back that up, but you'd assume that when you watch him, there's nothing that the eye test gives off when you watch a, a, a good midfielder at a top six club or a top ten club in the Premier League. He could do that role comfortably for somebody like I don't know West Ham. I think if you slotted him in West Ham's midfield, he'd probably be their best player in that position. Yeah, and that's pretty unreal to have that guy at fullback. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only thing I would say about Cancelo is he gets himself into trouble a lot when he gives the ball away. And part of the kind of fear with having an inverted and especially an inverted right-footed left back (laughs) is that his natural, you know, his instinctual move with the ball is going to be towards the center of the pitch and mm-hmm. that means that if he gives yeah. the ball away, which he did a few times today, it's going to be in the worst place on the pitch to give the ball away. And there was a few times where Pep was going absolutely mad on the on the touchline because Cancelo gave the ball away in the middle of the field. Um, mm. That's the only fear, especially when you have Jack Grealish down that side, is everything does go inside. Yeah. Um, and Cancelo can make some rash decisions from time to time. I don't want to just start bashing him because he had a fantastic performance. But if you go and... If there's a you know a turnover compilation from the game today, about five of City's you know six or seven turnovers would be Cancelo giving the ball away in the middle of the pitch. So mm. against a better team, that's a bit of a worry. Yeah. Um, it didn't you know it didn't hurt City at all today, but I think that may also just come with getting you know fit and sharp again. Um, but that's my only fear with this extremely narrow formation is the fact that you're going to give the ball away in the worst possible place. The good thing is the city don't give the ball away much. They're they're great with the ball at their feet. Mm. Um, but when you do get the ball taken off of you or you misplace a pass, we saw a couple of, you know, Kevin De Bruyne gave the ball away randomly at midfield today. Um, it's, in a, it's in a bad place, but that's few and far between, thankfully. Yeah. Inverted right-footed left back. Sounds like one of those, do you remember like mid-noughties games where you in, insert cheat codes and stuff like that you had to press a number like a buttons in the yeah. right place inverted, yeah inverted right footed left back sounds like some secret cheat code and it does feel as if Cancelo is a cheat code in that position at times yeah. um I thought we'd get through an episode without mentioning this ongoing saga but hey ho this is the world we live in despite the the quality of that performance um the this cloud still does hang over and it is of course the left back issue where do you think that leaves City going forward in terms of their pursuit of a left-back? Because the feeling after Liverpool, I think rightly so, was that it was a position that needed to be filled ASAP and, and potentially even ahead of the West Ham game. Now, looking forward, it's Bournemouth on Saturday. So you feel as if City could deploy a similar system and, and potentially get through that game um, unscathed. But for me, I 
do feel like City need to address it sooner rather than later. And if they were to get somebody in before that Bournemouth game, and even if they had 10 minutes towards the end just to get a feel of it, the fixture list starts to get a little bit more difficult, I'd say. Not necessarily really hard, but there's a Newcastle, there's a Palace, there's a Nottingham Forest on the horizon, and there are a few unknown entities in the Premier League. So as good as that performance was, the need for a natural left footer on that side, I feel, is not going to go away until City signs someone. If City had won today 100 to nil and Cancelo had 99 of the goals, I still would think <laughs> that they desperately, desperately need to sign a left back. Not, nothing about mm. today's game changes that. Um, but I've said it from the start that whoever City are looking to bring in, for me, whoever City are looking to bring in is not a starter. The, the fullback mm. pairing, the best fullback pairing that I think City could possibly have on the planet is Kyle Walker and Jock Cancelo. Cancelo gives you everything going forward. He can play inverted and play as a, a midfielder. Kyle Walker is probably the best fullback on earth with recovery pace and, and mm. recovery runs when when a team is counter counterattacking against you. So whether it's Cucurella or uh, Nuno Mendes or, or, or Borna Sosa, whoever it is, they're not going to come in and dislodge either Kyle Walker or Jao Cancelo for me. So anybody you're signing is is just another body. I mean, they're going to still play plenty of football. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that City need to sign two fullbacks. And, and if they really want to be competing on four fronts, like we've seen, you know, between kind of 2017 and 2019, um, then They'd have to have, for me, you've got to have one player you trust in every position, uh, you know, a backup mm. player for every position that you trust. Right now, there isn't that. You know, the backup to Riyad Mahrez is Cole Palmer. We're on our way to trusting him. He looks a fantastic player. Um, the backup to Kyle Walker is nobody. The backup <laughs> to Jack Cancelo is nobody. Well, Joshua Wilson Esbrand, maybe. Do we trust him yet? Don't know. Mm. Um, so, the squad is really thin. I think it's a, probably the kind of thing in which we're not going to see City competing um, in the cups the way that they used to, which is picking full strength 11s, you know, away to Burton. We're probably not going to see that. Mm. Um, the players are still good enough to win a game on any given day. But yeah, at the moment, certainly at fullback, there's still numbers that need to be added. Um mm. And I just I can't see us going into the season with two fullbacks. I, I I would like to think that Pep would really like to not have what happened at the end of last season happen again, yeah. which was having to play a 37-year-old midfielder at right back in a Champions League semifinal. Mm-hmm. That was a an injury crisis that maybe we won't see something like that again. Um, but, you know, we had, what, four injuries in like two weeks in defense. We're looking at Luke Mbete, Rico Lewis, and Joshua Wilson Esbran playing, if that's happening again. Mm, mm, you yeah. know, I mean, that, like, let that sink in. We're talking a full on academy back four if we get three or four injuries. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that should answer your question right there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You, this, is, this is what I mean, though. You fear, or you don't fear, but that performance is the sort of one that, that, I'm not saying Pep Guardiola, I'm not saying City's hierarchy, but I'm saying there's potential for them to go, you know what, everything's okay. But as you say, all it takes is for one injury. And and some of the names that have been linked, obviously Sergio Gomez was one that popped up last week. And he was a player who I watched on my trip to Anderlecht in, um, obviously, Brussels in May time. And I said at the time, I, I sent a message to our group chat. And I said, oh, this play is nice. You know, he came through the Barcelona Academy, plays left back, he just scored a penalty, etc., etc. But I thought at the time, oh, perhaps it'd be a bit of a too, too big of a jump to City, which I think for most players, it probably is. I find a player who, unless they're coming from one of elite clubs in Europe, it isn't a big jump. But obviously then the, the links came through and I was like, this looks good. This looks nice. He, he's got all the attributes that could be needed to, to play a part. But then there's the news that he's going to be immediately loaned out to Girona, which I don't know, seems very counterproductive. And, and we'll see where we go with this. We were here last week saying we expected the Kukurea deal to be wrapped up and, and to have clarity by, by the weekend. That happened, obviously, he played for Chelsea against Everton. I expect, or at least I hope, there to be sort of concrete news and, and concrete if there is going to be an arrival, expect that to be concrete by the time 
Bournemouth visit the Etihad on Saturday. We'll use that as a segue into our next and, and probably one of the final topics of today's show then, and that's Jack Grealish, because... I'd say rather surprisingly for me, I don't know what you think, but we've had quite a few questions on Grealish, and I'll start with this one from Balogun, which is which is pretty simple, and I'll take it first of all. Basically just says, thoughts on Jack Grealish. Now, I don't know whether or not I was surprised by this, but at halftime there was quite a lot of, I'd say, um, unwarranted stick being thrown the way of Jack Grealish, um, and, and I don't necessarily know why. I think taking sort of taking a look at it, the general consensus from the naysayers, if you like, is is that he's too passive in the way he plays and he's afraid to take players on. But Adam, I don't know where you stand on this, but I'm I'm not sure there's been a City player in the last, I don't know, half a decade, decade, that has been that sort of all-action running at defenders, trying to take them on constantly. I mean, we had a little bit of pace with with Leroy Sane, but that was more in behind, and similarly with, with Raheem Sterling. So I don't know where this idea that Jack Grealish has to succeed at City by trying to take defenders and trying to take full-backs on every time he gets the ball come from. Yeah, I, I was just as surprised as you when we had a few different Grealish um Grealish questions and I saw even at full time saying that he was, you know, below average on the day. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just going to consistently scream it from the rooftops that he is in desperate need of a left footed fullback to be overlapping him. You know, his, what he excels at is cutting in on his right, you know, taking players on, you know, curling, curling crosses to the back post, having shots at goal. Um, But right now, if he cuts in on his right, he's got, Kevin De Bruyne, Ilkay Gundogan, Jao Cancelo, and Rodri all within about 10 feet of him. Mm. So his only option is to play a, a five-foot pass and and keep the ball circulating. Um, I almost wonder if the thing to do to really see him excel is probably play him in, in midfield mm. um, if you're not going to play him with a wide fullback. I didn't think he was bad today. I think he's a victim of his own circumstances, mm. um, which is not his fault at all. Um, if he were potentially to even play on the right, where he could maybe take players on and go to the byline, I think that would even be better for him, I even though he that, doesn't yeah, ever play that. on the right. But I think he just needs a change of, of scenery because I think he's just getting caught up. It, it's a bit like um, every single time Barca tried to sign a Neymar replacement in the last like four or five years, they would run into this issue where they would sign, you know, a Griezmann or Dembele or whoever it was. And they were running into this issue where they would just run into about four or five world-class players in the middle of the pitch. And I think we're having a bit of a conundrum with Jack Grealish in, in that. And I don't think he's playing poorly. He's just a victim of his own circumstances. And I won't judge him until... I feel like he's given the best um, environment for him to thrive in. And if he doesn't thrive in that, then maybe we have an issue. But I have full confidence in him being able to thrive in in that kind of environment. I don't know if and when we'll be able to see that. um, But I think that's the issue at the moment. Yeah, I I, I think... I echo that completely, and I think our stance on Jack Grealish for for anyone who's listened for a while is, is pretty clear. But but for anyone who hasn't, I, the question I'd ask people who are doubting him now is genuinely, hand on heart, what were your expectations, uh, expectations, expectations of Jack Grealish when he signed for Manchester City, and, and sort of do it in a staggered perspective because we've only had even though we've kicked this season off we've only had one full season of him and what did he end with I can't remember I was watching the City documentary actually and I forgot how many goal contributions he actually had at the start of last season it seemed like every other week he was getting an assist or a goal across all competitions but it must have been about three or four goals across all competitions five assists or something like that did you really expect perhaps you did perhaps I'm being too fingy here but in his first season at the club did you really expect him to set the world alight and get I don't know 25 goals and assists across all competitions because I I, I genuinely didn't I thought it'd be a slow burner and, and you know he said he struggled at this at the start and can you imagine being the, the top dog at the, the club that you've played your entire life coming into Manchester City and you see in De Bruyne you see in um I don't know, Bernardo Silva, I'm trying to think of all the players that we've got, but I forgot then. Um, but but you can imagine it, it'd be this sort of humbling experience and getting used to that was really tough. And today, again, I, I did not see any problems with his performance at all. The alternative, I feel, as if 
Would you rather him give the ball away three times, four times a game, trying to run at plays and getting tackled? Um, I don't know. We've had another question on Grealish then, and, and I'll, I'll ask you this before, before you, you go on again. It's from Raya, who says, does Grealish's decision-making worry you? I think I've just covered that in, in my sort of segment there. They say they, they think that there was a few moments in the Community Shield and again against West Ham where he could have and should have played forwards, but he ended up passing sideways or switching play across the pitch. Now, you covered that slight, slightly there. I guess if I'm to play devil's advocate again, at what point, Say a left back doesn't come in. At what point does he then have to take the, the sort of ball by the horn and go? You know what? I can take players on, or is it just not going to happen in the current system? Before I answer that, I just want—I just want to point out one other thing that you said about the numbers and and the expectations of kind of how many goals and assists that he would be getting at City. His best ever season at Villa in the Premier League was six goals and ten assists. That's right, that's so not, not setting the world alight, yeah. you know. Saeed Ben Rama had the same for West Ham last season. It was eight <laughs> and eight. Um, yeah. You know his his best ever season, even in the championship, was six goals, seven assists. It, that's not it's not the kind of player yeah. that Grealish is. He, I think Grealish, funnily enough, I think Grealish is a victim of he's he's the man man in the world that would most benefit from hockey assists being brought into football. <laughs> The pass before the pass. Which is, the yes, in hockey, the pass before the pass, yeah. the pass before the assist is registered as an assist. I would love to see how much his numbers would skyrocket if a move was started because Grealish took somebody on, laid the ball off, and that ball ended up being the assist. Mm, yeah. You get what I'm saying? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd also love to see, for instance, last year City had the most um, – Set piece goals in the Premier League. I'd love to see how many of those free kicks were earned by Jack Grealish. Yeah, because yeah, I bet definitely. you it's a, it's a fair few of them. Yeah. So I feel like people are expecting him to be a player that he has never been in his entire yeah. career, which is a Raheem Sterling type winger where you you take a man on and you curl in a ball into the top right corner. You know, like that's not the mm. kind of player he is. He's a player that pulls people to him. He's a player that causes a little bit of chaos in the box. And yes, maybe he's being a little passive at the moment, but he's also running into a wall of like 10 fucking midfielders every single time he tries to cut in and do anything with the ball because of Mm. the position that he's being played in the people playing around him. So if he ends up with the same numbers that he had at Villa, you know, let's say eight goals and eight assists, that is fantastic. That is Mm. fantastic. So we need to just temper the expectations on not necessarily that we think he is better than he really is. We're expecting him to do things he's never, ever done in his career. <laughs> yeah. So why yeah, would you yeah, expect yeah. him to do it at a, at a much higher level with much better players around him? That's just mm. doesn't make any sense. Uh, I ranted. I forgot the original question. <laughs> no, but you, you sort of covered it anyway. It was it was a sense of does his decision making worry you? And and I'll add on that actually. We we spoke a lot about how Erling Haaland could unlock Jack Grealish's sort of numbers, if you like. If if that's genuinely what your you you judge players on, then fair enough. You know, we all have our own litmus test. But if that's what you look at players for, then then granted, yes, he could get more assists, I guess, is is what I'll admit. But there was a chance where Erling Haaland had a header and he, he probably should have scored. So Jack Grealish had the best or the most on form and the most sought after striker in world football missing chances. And it's what we saw a lot last season. He'd create the chances and go and look at his numbers if you think that he's, he's he didn't create enough because he really, really did. I can't remember the exact thing, but I think it was only De Bruyne and, and perhaps someone else who created. Yeah, nobody. Oh, was it nobody? Was it? He was, was it top. His... He was top of the league in big chances created and expected assists. Well then, well then, I think that I think that speaks for itself, and and you can tell we get we get passionate about this because <laughs> I don't know what it is. He's got he's got an absolute hold over us. But I, I'll finish by saying if he was called something like I don't know Jackie Grilizio and he'd come from Spain and you know he was this sort of he, he rotated the ball really well and he he was really tidy in possession and he very rarely gave it away and you know he looked stylish on the ball. Low of people would be raving over him because it's kind of what Bernardo Silva does but in a different sort of way you know the, the, Jack Grealish being at left wing he isn't necessarily a winger and I don't think uh, I guess we'll round off by saying 
we've seen it with Cancelo and the sort of reinventing of that position. If you classify Grealish as a winger, you're going to be disappointed because he's not the traditional winger. But if you classify him as this sort of combative all-action midfielder who can keep possession and keep rotating and, and lay the ball off the players who are probably better at doing other stuff than he is and, and instead of him trying to do it themselves... Um, I think that's probably where we're at with him. We'll wait and see. It's a big season for him, I feel like. He, he does have to add more, but we'll wait and see. I think there's something to be said for a player like him that is constantly drawing attention and getting kicked and drawing free kicks well, and yeah. just causing constant, constant chaos. And that mm. is that's something that City need. You know, that 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 adds to the, you know, City often get the criticism rightly or wrongly of being kind of playing kind of sterile football, mm. you know, the, the very robotic football. But Jack Grealish is an anomaly in that sterility, if you believe it's there, um, that he causes the chaos. He'll take a couple people on. He'll get kicked around. He'll get he'll get scrappy. And I think that's vital for a team that is looking to win multiple trophies because you need that kind of extra gear. So anyways, let's move, let's move on before yeah. I start – throwing stuff around my room <laughs> it feels like that doesn't it when when us two speak about Grealish genuinely no idea what it is maybe it's the hair and the calves um right okay well I say we'll move on from Grealish we've got to stick with it because there's a question from Kyle Watson who asks us fought on Grealish and Foden in the starting 11 no Mares. I guess I'll open that up and, and widen it out by saying we've had a couple of quote-unquote competitive games, whatever you want to call that Liverpool contest, to have a look at that front three. It was a start, It was a talking point before the start of the season. It's still going to be one, I feel like, as we head into the more um, important games, if you like. That front three seemed to work well. I wouldn't mind seeing Riyad Mahrez back in there, but I'm not sure it's compatible with Jack Grealish. We'll wait and see what happens on, on Saturday. I think that's the issue there is... Phil Foden is an automatic starter, and I think it's just going to kind of be between Grealish and Mares for that second wing mm. spot. And I think that Mares right now is a victim of the fact that Kyle Walker is the only option to play on the right mm. um, because Cancelo obviously can't come play there and and give Kyle Walker a break because there's no one to then step yeah. in for Cancelo. So um, as long as Kyle Walker is the only option, then you've kind of got to have um, – you know, Phil Foden on on that side. Then again, you know, Mares provides that ability to cut in and shoot and score. He's obviously the lead the lead leading scorer on the team last year. Um, I think the reason that we saw Foden and Grealish, at least at West Ham, Grealish was superb in the preseason. Um, Mares wasn't bad in the preseason, and Foden didn't even show up for preseason. Um, but <laughs> I think it's Pep who said in training that Phil Foden has been the best player in training leading up to this game, and that's why he got the start. Mm. Um, but as long as it's working, it's not really going to be changed. I think there's a huge chance we see Riyad Mahrez against Bournemouth, probably because we'll have even more of the ball and even more control at home against Bournemouth than than away to West Ham. Then maybe we'll see um, you know, Phil Foden out on the on the left and uh, Riyad Mahrez on the right. But... Um, I said this at the beginning of the season. I don't really care who it is. I think they all do something different and they all are good enough to play in this team. So I don't really care who it is at all. Um, the only kind of exception for me at the moment is that Foden is an automatic starter. Yeah, on Foden then, because I don't know exactly how much he played there last year, but I, I don't particularly think it was a lot. But what did you make of him on the right wing? I've just got transfer market up, actually, and they're not saying... Oh, sorry, one game against Tottenham at home. Um, there was obviously that, no- that noise wasn't coming from his his camp in the summer about how Phil Foden wouldn't mind being moved out uh, out to the right. Obviously, he spent a lot of last year playing as a false nine or, or in the occasion somebody else did. He was out on the left, but I think... We, we had Haaland obviously stole the show for his goals, and rightly so. Gundwan, who was sublime. The two, I mean, I'm going to list the entire team here, but they all had, they all had the individual uh, bits to praise. The two fullbacks, I thought Rodri was exceptional covering. But apart from that, Phil Foden was a standout player throughout the entire 90 minutes, and, and he, particularly in that first half when there wasn't a lot going on. He looked at home on that right-hand side, and it's a case, I suppose, of him being able to play anywhere because he's absolutely bloody brilliant. But that does look like it's an option that's been unlocked for City with the departure of Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus. 
Yeah, and I think I remember him playing there against Atletico Madrid in the first leg. At right. least I remember him assisting the Kevin De Bruyne goal from that position. I don't know if that happened naturally or if that's where he was he was playing. Um, to be honest, I don't really care where he plays. Like I just think he's so good and he's so devastating from wherever he is. I mean, I've even said on this podcast that I actually think that his most devastating position is in midfield. And mm. Pep Guardiola still to this day is adamant that his future is in midfield. Um, obviously, there's a lot of um, a lot of talented talented footballers in our midfield at the moment, and that's keeping him out. But um, you know, Gundogan's not getting younger. Hell, Kevin De Bruyne is not getting any younger. So his long term position still might be in in one of those number eight positions in midfield. Um, but you could play Phil Foden anywhere in the front three, and I will have the same amount of confidence as I would in any other position in the front three. Well, you say that uh, the two players aren't getting any younger. Could a gap perhaps pop up if, um, and, I, and I'm, I don't want to say it out loud because I don't want to attract it to the universe, but if Bernardo Silva leaves the club, then you would feel as if the City would look at, look at I don't know if you can replace him, but look at bringing in a body in there as well. But who knows that an opportunity might come then because there was... A little bit of hysteria wasn't the pre-match about his exclusion and whether or not it pointed to the fact that it may be the first sort of uh, wheels in motion towards a move to to Barcelona. There was a, a tweet from Sam Lee who sort of didn't debunk it in terms of saying it wasn't because of that, but said, "Look, it could it could be because um, that." Uh, the way City were playing, Gundogan playing as a sort of second striker to Haaland, getting higher up the pitch and, and whatnot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Go and go and have a look at it because he articulated it much better than I did just then. But were you looking at this and going, mm, "Yeah, this this signs aren't great," or did you think it was purely tactical? I once he came on as a substitute, I dropped all fear that he didn't play because he's got a move pending. Okay. Um, I think if if a player has a move pending and you're keeping them off of the pitch because of that, you don't bring them on as a substitute. Especially, I know they're they're two nil up, but like two nil is a very dangerous lead. You know, you're still that, bringing yeah, on, yeah. bringing him on in in you know a high intensity game with the game still kind of on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, everything we see from outside of Barcelona is that they have absolutely no shot at doing this financially. I won't believe any report about Barcelona that comes from Barcelona because (laughs) nine times out of 10, it's absolute bullshit. And it's the same mouthpieces over and over and over saying, no, 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 they've registered him and they've registered him and they do this and they'll be able to afford, they sell this and, you know, the the Laporta's selling his right kidney and then his left kidney and then his back (laughs) kidney and then his front two kidneys and then they'll have the money. But that's all coming from people who are just direct mouthpieces for the club. So if I see one source, city source, or you know an Ornstein or somebody like that say, "This is how Barcelona can make this yeah. work," I'm not. I'm not even fucking thinking about it. I don't care. I'm not. I'm not reading these Barcelona mouthpieces and thinking, "Ooh, that's a bit scary." I don't want to lose him because I just don't care at the moment. It's. It's. It doesn't look likely. Had he not made the squad. I'd be worried. Yeah, yeah. That there's fair. something going on that we don't know about. But the fact that he still played, um, I bet you he starts against Bournemouth. Look, I may be made to eat all of my words in the next week. Mm. He might be. He might be playing. You know, in Catalonia by next weekend. Um, I just don't see that happening at the moment with their financial issues. Yeah, what they're going to have to pull lever seven or something like that. Um, yeah, it, it's it's we'll wait and see. It's, it's definitely one to watch it, and it's not something that we can really comment on at this time. Um, I'm conscious of time, so this will be the final question. We've had loads, so apologies if we haven't answered them. But do you think this was from Bertafull South? Um, Kurt Zuma taking one in the head from Julian Alvarez as soon as he came on. Simply put, payback for kicking that poor cat. That's the first thing I said when I saw him down <laughs> on the ground. Me was too. that is just karma, and I don't, um, I don't wish harm on people. No, us- usually, except, except. I'll just end my sentence you. there. I don't usually wish harm on people. <laughs> That's, that says a lot, doesn't it? That's it. That was exact. My, my dad and I turned to each other and said, 
just like a, a, a and for the benefit of the tape, I'm just gently nodding my head as if, yeah, the world's done us good there. And it was our the, boy Julian that did it. As I think well, the so song it, but... from the away end was that's how your cat felt. Yeah. That's how your yeah. cat felt. Yeah. That was super. There was some good chance. I saw it's just like the Etihad as well. When, when the atmosphere went a bit flat, Manchester city supporters know how to self deprecate. And that's something we, uh, we, we relish in. Um, right, okay, we've covered an awful lot. We've answered a whole load of questions. We've had a laugh, we've had a joke, we've had a cry, all the emotions, and I think that's enough for today. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's good. I'm about to go uh, stare at my hung-up picture of Jack Grealish in my room after <laughs> this and get on my knees and say my prayer to him before I start yeah. my day. Yeah, yeah, Saint Jack. Yeah, like I said, this is an anti-Jack Grealish slander zone. Um, but yeah, that that'll do for today. Um, if you can subscribe, follow, leave a rating, leave a review, tell your friends, tell your mum and dad, tell everyone that you know, share it on Twitter, follow us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, big season for us as well. You feel like so? Yeah, watch out. But um, I've been Amos Murphy. I've been Adam Booker. And until next time, thank you very much for listening. See you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.